Hey mamas, it's Megan, your host here at the VBAC Link. I am so excited to get into our amazing episode today, but before we do, I wanted to do a quick Q&A on my number one most asked question, which is how do I prepare for a VBAC? I know it's a lot to unpack, but here are some of the top answers for you. Find a VBAC supportive provider and make sure you are getting the right nutrition. This includes getting optimal amounts of protein, vitamins, and minerals to support a healthy VBAC pregnancy. I personally recommend Needed's prenatals to all of my clients and to this amazing community of ours. Head to thisisneeded.com to get 20% off with code VBAC20. That is thisisneeded.com, code VBAC20. Hello, hello, women of strength. We are at the end of February here, and we have a story that I swear, be back after multiple cesareans is like very highly requested when it comes to this community. So we have a, a story for you guys today for a back after three C-sections. And not only was it a VBAC after three C-sections, it was a preterm VBAC after three C-sections. And I think in a lot of places um, around the world, if someone came in preterm and they've had three C-sections, finding that support is going to be hard. And it it doesn't need to be necessarily hard, but I know that it can be. So I'm excited for this story from our guest, Claire today because it's a story that just shows like it is possible even if you have certain things stacked against you that the medical world looks at in a negative way. So we are going to be sharing that story here in just a few minutes. But of course, we have a review of the week. And this was shared on Apple Podcasts. And it's by Britt Lee Smith. And it says, highly recommended for both VBAC mamas and mamas in general says, in 2019, after 30 hours of labor, I ended up birthing my son via unplanned C-section. I was devastated and knew my future birth had to be different. I immediately started digging into VBAC resources and came upon your podcast. I listened to every single episode before I even became pregnant with my second baby. The knowledge I gained from both of you, as well as your many guests, is truly invaluable. This resource is great for any expectant parent, not just VBAC moms, and I wish I would have discovered you all before my first child. I am thrilled to announce that I got my VBAC this past February, and I owe a lot of thanks to y'all. Keep it up, ladies. Oh, I love that. I love when people say, like, we found you, we learned, and then we got our VBAC, or we found you, we learned, and I didn't maybe have a VBAC, but I had a better experience. This is what this podcast is here for, is to help people have a better experience, to learn the information, to feel more empowered, to make the best choice for you. And even sometimes when the experience doesn't go exactly as we plan, to still have a better experience because we know what our options are. So as usual, if you guys have not left a review, we would love them. They actually help women of strength find this podcast. They help people find the information, the education, or the um, empowerment for their birth. So drop us a review. You can leave it at Apple Podcasts. You can even Google the VBAC link and leave us a review there. Or wherever you listen to your podcast, drop a review. You are tuned into the VBAC Link Podcast with Megan Heaton, who is a longtime doula and VBAC mom herself, here to help you get inspired for birth after having had a C-section. 
Along with this podcast, the VBAC Link offers blogs, resources, and a comprehensive VBAC course for both parents preparing for birth and doulas wanting to take their VBAC education to the next level. Be sure to follow Megan and her team on all social media platforms for even more. Although these podcast episodes are VBAC specific, it is encouraged for all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a C-section from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here is your host, Megan. Okay, cute Claire. It's been so fun. Like I just was scanning over your stuff and I was just kind of excited because all the people that you had at your birth, I know personally, because you're also here in Utah. So I'm so excited to like hear your whole story and your journey. And I just want to tell you congrats in advance because so amazing. So amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's we didn't expect to be in Utah, but it turned out to be a really great place to to birth. So we're really grateful to be here. My story actually starts on the East Coast, like thousands of miles away. And I was due with my first in May 2019. And I didn't really know much about birth in general. And I'm like an oldest child, kind of a rule follower. I was like, well, if I just do everything the way I'm supposed to, then birth will just happen. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I had a really supportive OB. He is like several children of his own. His um, wife was a friend of mine. He's a really great doctor. But at around 32 weeks, I was (laughs) like flying at the last possible second. I was allowed to fly and like running through an airport. And I kind of felt like the baby kind of settled in a weird spot after that. Mm-hmm. And I started having prodromal labor at like 39 weeks or something. And that went on for about two weeks. And what I didn't realize is that these were kind of all signs that he was maybe posterior and not in a great mm-hmm. position. And my OB, even though he was really wonderful, wasn't trained to determine like where the baby is, just that the baby's head down. Right. So at 41, plus one early in the morning. So I was like over a week past my due date, lose my mucus plug. Hey, hun, we're going to have a baby today. I was so excited and ended up laboring all day at home, went to the hospital, had really, really bad back labor. Um, So I ended up with a lot of IV fluids, had a couple more interventions. They broke the water eventually. And basically what ended up happening was that 41 plus two so at 90s after my due date i had dilated to complete but the baby wasn't dropping at all like he wasn't engaged still really really high and after a while his heart rate wasn't tolerating labor tolerating labor well anymore and they recommended a c-section did they have to push or i didn't push yeah they said he was still too high they didn't recommend that interesting isn't that how we get babies down yeah, I'm not really sure. Yeah, <laughs> he, yeah. He was definitely like, it definitely was a situation he was not used to or prepared for. And he was kind of surprised and honestly, like very sad that I didn't have the birth experience that I wanted. And so like he came to visit the next day his and like just spend a few minutes with us. His wife came to visit who I was friends with. And so that was like, it was really hard, pretty traumatic, mm-hmm. but it also could have been much worse like bedside manner wise <laughs> i was really well taken care of so that was that was really hard it was a challenging physical recovery because i'd had like 48 hours of 
labor and mm-hmm. most of it was without an epidural and it was really intense and like the hardest part of that birth was that the first time i saw my son i saw a picture of him that the nurses uh, me, they kind of took him away to be like measured right away so that was really hard he was nine pounds <laughs> yeah. just that plus like not being in a great position and being with a provider that didn't really have a good amount of like options of what to do if baby's mm-hmm. not descending properly. So that was a difficult adjustment to motherhood, especially because we that baby was born in Louisiana and we were moving back to Virginia where we have like a lot of family and friends and we were planning on moving two weeks after the baby was born, but because he came late, <laughs> we actually like left the hospital and like started driving north. I would not recommend this. Don't do it. (laughs) That's a lot. That's a lot. (laughs) Really bad idea. (laughs) Um, Oh my gosh. His first night out of the hospital was in a hotel in Birmingham, Alabama. (laughs) I just don't, yeah, don't do it. But so then that was, yeah, that was just hard because then we're moving and I'm trying to physically recover. Mm -hmm. um, So it was pretty wild. Yeah. So that's my first, my second we surprised got pregnant three months after that baby was born. Um, okay. It was a cycle zero pregnancy. Like I had no idea. I just kind of fell off and was like, maybe I should take a test. And I was so shocked that I was pregnant. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So like I said, we were in a new state. I found a birth center that would do my prenatal care because I knew midwives knew more about positioning and how to like track it and maybe had some recommendations about things I could do to encourage baby to be in a better position because my pregnancy had been great. But because it was less, well, it was right around 12 months between deliveries, Mm -hmm. they wanted me to have co-care and deliver in hospital. Mm. And I kind of just took their word for it. Like, oh, well, I guess if that's what they're recommending, then the risk must really be that much higher. So then in the middle of all this, COVID happens and hospitals i was doing may 2020 hospitals are kind of like changing their everything their, yeah but like by the week right it felt like every by the day policy yeah they were changing by the day it was insane <laughs> no it was crazy so it's like march i'm doing like you know two months right and mm-hmm. I, st- I just like reached out to the birth center basically like begging them to let me deliver out of hospital because I was like, I don't want to deal with the hospital system right now. I know that they're truly Mm -hmm. supportive, but they said that they weren't comfortable with that. So my plan was to labor at home with a midwife, like from the birth center kind of laboring at home with me and then to transfer to the hospital while I was in labor. And she was supposed to be kind of like that midwife was supposed to come with me as kind of like a doula almost in mm, the hospital. Yeah. Just a, yeah. a monotrice or whatever they call them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So then I had to find like a doctor to do co-care with. And I had a, a new friend in the area who'd had a C-section with her first. And she had had a like not great experience with this one doctor in the area. So I like, but that's the one that the midwives usually worked with. So I kind of like took her experience as like a, maybe not, I don't want to work with him, found Mm -hmm. someone else who was really VBAC supportive historically, but then 
like he had me do an ultrasound to determine scar thickness. This is all like third trimester. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. pregnancy was going really well, but um, third trimester I have to do start doing my appointments with him, and baby was actually breached pretty late on, mm-hmm. so. I started doing chiropractic care during that pregnancy and she flipped on her own. It was great. Yay. So grateful. And so then at that ultrasound, we determined like, yes, she is head down. He was concerned about my scar thickness. Although then I like did a lot of research and was like, I'm just not sure that this is actually evidence-based. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then also they were telling me she was going to be 12 pounds and <laughs> I had carried a baby a year before, literally like to the day almost. And I was like, this feels just like my first, like she's got to be around nine. I don't mm-hmm. think much bigger than he was, but there was the me- ultrasound saying 12. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Okay. 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 Yeah. So yeah, the ultrasounds measure it. And I mean, it spoiler, it turned out to be way off. Like she was nine. <laughs> ounces um most of the time it can be (laughs) yeah yeah especially with bigger babies later in pregnancy i like i so like i was in a fine headspace with that i was like i know that this can be off i'm not worried but they were really nervous and anyway basically backed me into scheduling a c-section but i pushed it as far down like the due date path as i could because i'd gone over with my first and i still really wanted a chance to labor so chiropractic care this whole time was really helping. I like had had bad hip pain with my first and I didn't have any with her after that. They wanted to do another scan at 41 weeks like, or another ultrasound at 41 weeks just to like mm-hmm. check on baby. But I kind of got them to do a non-stress test instead because I didn't see, I was like, what are we going to look at? She was healthy at like yeah. 40 weeks. Yeah. So I was really glad that I'd advocate for myself there because that was good. I did have one kind of funky day of pre-labor at 40 weeks where I really thought I was going to labor and then it was Mm. like early labor and then it stopped and I was checked after that and I was at four centimeters. So I was like kind of walking around for like a week and a half. It turned out to be (laughs) centimeters dilated. So it was kind of interesting to like know that that can happen. Yes. Um, And the midwives I was with said that they see that with VBACs a lot too, like that the body just kind of takes things slower sometimes which was interesting to hear their experience of that. But yeah, I went into labor at 41 plus three, which is, or 41 plus two, I guess, which is like when my son was born mm-hmm. a year before. And then I was kind of in labor, early labor all day. My water broke as I was nursing my one-year-old for bed. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> kind of crazy and exciting. I was like, you're going to get to meet your sister, put him down for sleep. Midwife came over. I labored from a six to a 10 in three hours. So by like 9 p.m., I was like fully dilated. He, she was dropping. At that point, looking back, I wish I'd just stayed home because yeah. <laughs> she was like almost born at that point. But I didn't because I saw like the midwife's like voice in the back of my head, like, oh, it's only been a year. You're at a higher risk for a rupture. And I just mm-hmm. like, was worried and at that point labor is not the time to be making decisions like that you're very vulnerable yeah so we ended up transferring it was covid i get to the hospital they stick a thing up my nose to like <laughs> check oh jeez yeah so you're in labor already really uncomfortable and they're like we're gonna swab your nose you're like thanks and they wouldn't let the midwife in which was really 
like we kind of knew but she came with us just to like see if they would let her in um but they were only allowing one support person so my husband came with me and i ended up getting an on-call doctor that wasn't the doctor that i'd been seeing and it actually turned out to be the first doctor that like i was trying to avoid in the first place oh really yeah so that i was like not happy about and then he looks at my he literally takes one look at my chart and says a v-back this baby's gonna be 12 pounds like don't even bother trying Ah. um but i'm 10 centimeters (laughs) right like everything's fine i'm healthy she's healthy heart rates are all good like we're doing it it's not a question of can i because it's happening Mm -hmm. um but he started i mean I like won't tell you the things he was telling me about like what happens if like I should have had a C-section and I don't and you know the whole dead baby thing and it was just like the nurses were trying to keep him out of the room for me like it was so bad turns out later like he did talk to the midwives the next day and was like why did you send her in at all like why'd you tell her she could be back and basically he confided in them like you don't know what it's like to be sued so i guess like he had something oh. in his past where like he'd been sued for something that had happened so yeah. he was just really scared but he was taking that out on me Which so is that not okay understandable but not okay right yeah and it took a long time for me to like get over this and yeah. really forgive him for some of the things that he said anyway so my body starts having a stress response and like labor starts slowing my cervix starts slowing a little bit like basically my body's like we don't feel safe here we're not having here and Mm. so i did push for like two hours but it like contractions weren't really working the same way and he started talking about like well if it's an emergency we have to put you under general and all this stuff so i did end up getting an epidural it was just a whole like yeah i basically like got backed into a corner and eventually we said like let's just call it and have the c-section because we can do it on our terms and maybe get a couple of the things we still want um like we really wanted delayed cord clamping i really want to be able to like see her right away which i didn't get to do with my son and so we kind of felt like if we just called it we would be able to do some of those things because it wasn't an emergent situation so really for no medical reason i had my second c-section she was nine pounds, three ounces. And the doctor actually said to my husband after that, like, oh, by the way, your wife has a, like a fine pelvis. There's no reason she can't birth vaginally. She should, she could totally do this in the, again in the future. Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> my husband's like, I don't want to talk to you right now about yeah, that. Yeah. Like get you out mean? of my face. <laughs> yeah. Like ugh, after you just did what you did and like backed us into surgery and he just wanted to be able to control the situation. And yeah. So emotionally, it was really hard to recover from that because I had a really hard time just working through some of the things that he would said and the images mm-hmm. he put in my mind. But it was physically a lot easier. Yeah. We did move again after that baby, but we only moved within the state. So that was easier. <laughs> we move a lot and we've moved with every baby at some point, which is crazy. <laughs> I'm going to take a quick break from our amazing episode today to continue talking about preparing for a VBAC. I mentioned Needed earlier, and I just wanted to expand on why I suggest them. They offer radically better nutrition products. They offer the most comprehensive prenatal that's available in both a delicious tasting vanilla powder 
and in capsule form. And don't just take my word for it. The women in our VBAC community have fallen in love with their products too and are noticing a difference in their energy, digestion, and their mood. Just like we talk about making sure your provider is VBAC supportive or not, I suggest you do the same with your prenatals. Here's the deal. 95% of women in the prenatal stages have nutrient deficiencies. Most prenatal vitamins include the bare minimum nutrition based on outdated guidelines and stale research. We deserve to thrive, not just survive. Needed offers radically better nutrition products, education, and advocacy rooted in clinical research and practitioner validation. Their products are third-party tested and backed by clinical insights from over 4,000 practitioners. They are thoughtful about every ingredient, using exactly what is needed in bioavailable forms. And this is important because you and your baby deserve the best. If you are not already one of the hundreds of women in our Women of Strength community using Needed as your prenatal, consider switching to Needed. Get 20% off your order by using VBAC20 at checkout. You can visit that at thisisneeded.com and use code VBAC, V-B-A-C, two zero at checkout. So that's my second baby. And then about, I don't know, like a year, like 15 months later, um, we got pregnant with our third and we were pretty excited. We'd had a really early, early miscarriage between those two. And it was still really hard and painful, but it was like the day after we found out we were pregnant. And so that was a surprise and we were so that kind of made us think like well are we ready for another baby and i kind of discerned like yeah actually i think we are even though at the time i had felt totally overwhelmed so that's kind of beautiful because if we hadn't had that baby like we wouldn't have our third right now Mm -hmm. Uh, so we're in the same state the v-back laws in the state are are pretty lenient so i end up having the opportunity to find a home birth midwife and because I just at this point like really did not want to go back to the hospital after everything Mm -hmm. and there really weren't any hospital practices that I knew of and I kind of looked around a lot that were like VBAC after two c-section supportive so I look around I found a home birth midwife I had a beautiful pregnancy kind of in the back of our head the whole time we're thinking like if we just stayed home with our daughter like things would have just happened naturally. It just would have been fine. And so the whole pregnancy, I was like a little bit nervous, but I had some really, really awesome supportive friends. The same friend who had had a C-section had had a VBAC since then. And she was like, so in my corner and another good friend of ours were just like kind of cheering me on the whole time. My midwife was really, really supportive. I did have some fears and worries, but I was just like, we're just gonna like walk it out. I have no reason to believe that I can't birth this baby. Mm -hmm. Uh, Vaginally. I was continuing chiropractic care. The friend who'd had a VBAC had since become a doula. I'd like planned on having her there. So I went to labor at six days after my due date, after this like pretty beautiful, smooth pregnancy in the early morning. And then again, I was like dilated to 10 by like nine o'clock in the morning. Like it was like five hours later after my labor beautifully <laughs> yeah <laughs> right and I was like at this point I was like I feel like I know my body can do this but like you know I just had never like 
made it all the way and um yeah. i was starting to feel pushy and i pushed for hours and hours and hours <laughs> which turned out to be like that was really hard the midwife like when i started pushing was like we're gonna have a baby so soon and then like My son was like nine months old and we got pregnant with our fourth. Like I said, we had moved to this like mountain town in Colorado. We were kind of far away from a lot of things. So it was really hard for me to find a provider in general, let alone one who is going to be supportive of a VBAC after three C-sections. And I was really open to like, if I needed to have a fourth C-section, I was like open to that. I just wanted to do what was going to be like best yes. for us. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was looking at all my options and then all of our family was back East though. And we're looking at like support after the baby's born and everything. So we're thinking we might go back to Virginia and have the baby there. So I ended up doing like remote care with my midwife from my previous birth, my last mm. birth for all of my prenatals. Partially, like, everything was looking great. The blood work looked great. I was taking my blood pressure and checking in with her occasionally. And so I, you know, was doing that with her while also kind of looking for a provider, trying to discern, like, what we're going to do for the birth. I should also mention that during this time, I started going to pelvic floor physical therapy. Mm -hmm, yes. Which I had, it had been recommended to me a few times, but I never pursued it before. But my chiropractors in Colorado had like a really, they had a really strong recommendation for someone that they really liked. And so I started going to pelvic floor PT and she found all this like chronic tension that I didn't realize I like had. And it actually, I, my hip pain had come back this pregnancy and releasing my pelvic floor actually took care of my hip pain. It was all referred pelvic floor pain. Really? Which was so <laughs> wild. But I felt like I felt relief within like a couple of visits and she gave me really good exercises to be doing during my pregnancy. And I also like it made me more in tune with the rest of my body. Like I realized where else I was carrying tension and kind of like in better check with my moods. So, yeah, it was that was a huge game changer, I think. So I want to make sure that I, I mentioned that because I think that really, really impacted this pregnancy and birth. So we did an anatomy scan at 20 weeks and everything was looking good. It was a baby boy, but we found out he was measuring big, which was normal for my babies at this point. Kind of around the same time, I guess, my husband got this really awesome job opportunity in Utah, which meant we would have to move again. <laughs> and I was due in October with this baby and we'd be moving during the summer. So this time we'd move before the baby was born and then hopefully have like a couple months to settle in. But because of that, I kind of switched gears and started looking for providers in Utah so that I could like have a pretty seamless transition. Mm -hmm. um, I found a really awesome midwife and I told her my whole story. And when we were in Utah, just kind of interviewing and checking it out during the winter and she uh, heard all my stories and said, I don't see why you can't birth vaginally. I think you're an excellent candidate for VBAC. I would gladly take you on so she's I was like so one of the like most amazing midwives in utah too 
Yeah. And I loved, she has, she just had like a ton of experience too. I love how she has that much experience. Mm -hmm. And so I really felt like she's seen it all. Like she's seen a lot. And if she says that I have a really good chance I do, but also I totally trusted her to step in if, if like we needed to step in and start trying different things during delivery. Cause that's the one thing I felt like could have gone differently with my third baby was like, maybe we could have intervened a little earlier and maybe that would have gone differently. And she, she also like promised my husband she'd like shoot straight with him because he'd had kind of an experience of like people trying to shield him from, you know, like the truth or whatever mm. in the past. And so he just to kind of like protect him in the birth process, but he just wants honesty. And so she was like, I'm going to be really honest with you the whole time. I'm going to tell you exactly what I think. And so it was really, it was just a really good fit for our family. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I we like went back and started packing up the house and everything and um but I I knew that I had a really solid provider waiting for me in Utah. Um we moved at the beginning of August. I was maybe 30 weeks or so, 29 weeks, 31 weeks, something like that when we moved. Um so I thought I had 2 months or so to kind of get settled and pack the house and everything. And then at about 34 weeks, I started having like some pre-labor stuff, like a little bit of contractions, but I thought they were just really strong Braxton Hicks, like at night, lost a bit of my mucus plug. And that kind of was like consistent for about a week. And, but because with my second, I had had like a whole day of pre-labor and then nothing for two weeks. I thought, oh, I've I've still got two weeks. Like maybe you'll be here right at 37, but that's Mm -hmm. fine. You know? Yeah. I think I still have a couple of weeks left and checked it with my midwife. She's like, well, are you concerned about going into early labor? I was like, I don't think so. She goes, great. Don't worry about it. But then to my surprise on a Sunday night, 5 PM, like coming back from a grocery store to pack lunch for my husband for his first like official day of work the next day. <laughs> and my water breaks and I come home. I'm like, I think my water broke. <laughs> and he goes, uh, Oh, okay. <laughs> this is really unexpected because all of our other babies I went past my due date with. Mm-hmm. And we'd been in our house less than a month. And so I called my friend, my like, my friend who's a doula now. And I was like, just kind of out of it. I didn't really know what to do. And she kind of walked me through like, okay, we'll call your midwife, like see what's going on. So I call her and she's like, well, we can check to make sure that your water broke, but if you're pretty sure, like you've had several children. And so if you're pretty sure it's your water, you should just go to the hospital. And, Mm -hmm. um, but she told me exactly which hospital to go to, which I was really grateful for because I had no idea where to go. And I really trusted her recommendation. And you were closer to a different hospital, honestly, like you could have gone to this other hospital. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And so I was so glad that I called her and I walk in and they're like, oh, you're like, your midwife called ahead for you. Great. Come here. Let's check you out. I was at a five. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's five centimeters dilated already, which was crazy. They did an ultrasound just to double check his position and he was head down, which they were happy with. And then this OB comes in who's on call and she um, sits down and just says like, well, frankly, I don't think a VBAC after three C-sections is a good idea. I think it's too risky, but I'm it's just risk. Like I don't see any health problems right now. Like you're fine. They had hooked me up to a monitor. Baby was fine. 
And um, so we're not going to force you to do anything that you don't want to do. And you're mm-hmm. going to make the call. And we were really surprised because when we knew we were going back into a hospital setting, especially after our last two experiences, my mm-hmm. husband and I were like, whatever happens, happens. And he even had said, which was so great. He was like, let me deal with them. You deal mm-hmm. with the baby. Mm, yeah. Don't need to go in fighting. I'll go in fighting and you deal with the baby. But then we didn't even have to fight. They like disarmed yeah. us right away. <laughs> Which is amazing because especially preterm. Exactly. Yeah. 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 They were not like I expected like a frenzy and it wasn't. It was peaceful. So we just basically said like, well, we're not going to do that. Like we're not going to just do an automatic C-section. We're going to labor. They looked at my ultrasound saw that he was measuring big said we actually would have changed your dates in our practice with this ultrasound so we think you're closer to 38 weeks i was pretty confident in my dates because i'd been using uh, like a monitor to check ovulation and everything and so i felt still felt pretty confident that he was 35 weeks and so i really didn't want to induce or kind of make labor happen any sooner than it started because I kind of I knew that like his lungs could benefit from another couple of days Mm -hmm. in utero and so we kind of talked that through a little bit and next day a new on-call OB the nurses were great they were like really they listened to our whole story and they were like we are willing and ready to support you and prepared to support you so the next day we get a new on-call OB and she just says the same thing. I don't think this is a very good idea, but, you know, I'm not going to force you to do anything. Listens to our reasoning, both why we don't want to induce and also about a VBAC. Mm-hmm. And she goes and she calls the midwife who I had talked with or who I who had been supposed to deliver the baby or catch the baby. And she says to the midwife, like, I actually don't think this is a very good idea. Why'd you send her here? It's really, really risky. And the midwife just says, it's not as risky as you think it is. Like actually go do the research a little bit. There's not great numbers out there, but what we have isn't what you're saying it is. And then, so that doctor actually called a maternal fetal medicine doctor at a different hospital that she knew and asked like, Hey, what do you think about a VBAC after three C-sections? Would you recommend it for a mom? And he basically gave her the statistics of risk of complications after with a fourth C-section versus risk of uterine rupture with um, a VBAC. And he said like, you know, the numbers aren't great, but like, as far as like, we can't be a hundred percent confident in them. We don't have enough evidence, a lot of evidence. Yeah. Mm-mm. But I would absolutely support her. Like it's actually less risky for her to, to do this vaginally if she can. And so this doctor comes back and she tells us that. And we were shocked. She's like, actually, I think a VBAC is the best thing for you and your baby. And I'm going to transfer you over to our hospital midwives, which was wild. And so not what we expected. (laughs) And she's like, because I think that that's more like the model of care you wanted. And we were just floored because we'd never... Yeah, we never expected that. Mm-hmm. A doctor, we'd never been respected in that way. Yeah. Um, and that alone was just so healing. So yeah, so then this midwife comes in and I chat with her a little bit. She made sure I got some food. I hadn't really eaten much since I got in there. So but... it was great. They just really 
like attended to me as like a person. I still was not in labor. They weren't checking me because my membranes were ruptured and she kind of just talked me through that. Like there's really not that much of an increased risk of infection if you're waiting longer, as long as you're not doing checks. If you don't have an infection already, you're probably not going to get one essentially. So we did lots and lots of things in that 24 hour period. We prayed. We asked for so many prayers from our friends. We called the midwife and chatted with her a bunch. My husband, I joke that he was my daddy doula during that time because we were doing like, we learned a bunch of things through our other pregnancies. And so we were doing a mile circuit. We were doing spinning babies and abdominal lifts and kind of everything we could think of. I was pumping. They got me a hospital pump to use, showering, just trying to relax. We even discussed like leaving the hospital mm-hmm. going home and just like we talked that through with them but I felt pretty confident that once I went into labor it was going to be pretty strong labor and so I was and I was confident he was preterm and so I kind of wanted to stay my kids were able to come visit which was huge like that was so helpful and I did a lot of fear release conversation with the midwife which I think was a big deal the hospital midwife I was just really worried about I don't know. I had my oldest was only four and I was really worried about like, can I do this? Can I be a mother to these four babies? And yeah. it's like so much more manageable when you're pregnant, the baby's inside. Just go, <laughs> yeah. Inside. And, you know, so I think that that was actually really helpful. I think that was kind of keeping me from labor in a sense. Mm-hmm. So we just kind of did that for the next day. I was sleeping, but I was I was continually being monitored. So my sleeping was really fitful. And so 2 p.m. the next day, my nurses from their first shift are back. <laughs> They're like, oh, no, you're still here and you're not in labor and there's no baby. What do, what can we do? And I just said, like, I'm so tired. I just have not been sleeping well. Every time I roll over, this monitor messes up the baby's heart rate with mine. Mm-hmm. So people come flying in the room and I just can't really rest right now. And so... She talked with the hospital midwife that was on call that day, and she really wanted to get things going. She was a little bit more nervous about the length of time my waters had been broken and was stronger recommending maybe inducing or something. And so she said, yeah, like, let's just get her off the monitors. We have two days of great readings from this baby. Let's get her off the monitors. Let's turn down the lights. Let's get her in a new room, fresh environment, turn the lights down let her take a nap. And my husband even left. He like went to go get snacks or something outside of the hospital just to like totally give me my space. And so around 3.30, I finally like get tucked in for a nap, fall asleep immediately. I was so tired. I'm sure. (laughs) It was, it was just like a lot of mental stress. And I wake up an hour later at 4.30 to a, like, rip-roaring, super strong contraction. And I, like, couldn't even believe it. I was like, oh, my gosh, napping worked. (laughs) This was just what I needed was, like, my body just needed to be left alone. Um, And even probably you, you, like, mentally needed to just get out of the, like, moment and just be. Yes. Yeah. No, definitely. And so I, I start timing them and within five contractions, they were all like lasting over a minute. They were all about a minute and a half to three minutes apart. So I call my husband. I'm like, you got to come back to the hospital like right now. <laughs> uh, Cause they were really strong too, like super, super strong. Mm-hmm. 
And And like keeping in mind, you were five centimeters. So you could be tipping into that transition, active labor. Yeah, exactly. So no labor. (laughs) (laughs) No labor to active labor. Yeah, like just thrown right into it. Yeah, it was wild. I felt like I was kind of behind from the beginning. Like I couldn't get on top of it for that reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really intense. So I called a nurse in the room because I needed to go to the bathroom. I I like went to stand up, but I was like, I don't know what's going to happen when I stand up. So I'm going to call her in. She came. She kind of observed me in between some contractions and was like, I think the midwife should come. I was like, no, like it just started. You know, yeah. don't worry. Don't bother her. And she's like, no, really, you, we should get the midwife in here. So the midwife comes in, checks me. I'm only at a six. So I was a little bit discouraged because it had been like a half hour, 45 minutes of these strong contractions at that point. But um, 90% of face, baby's dropping. Everyone in the room was like, this is really good news. And I was like, yeah, there's still a lot of work to do. Like, I just refused mm-hmm. to kind of accept that. And so I'm kind of wandering around the room, just like laboring, standing up in different positions, supported by a nurse sometimes. And then I end up like kneeling on the ground and like laboring over a couch, just like leaning on it. And the contractions have really picked up. Like there really was not much of a break in between them at all. So I felt like I couldn't even like release the contraction. Like everything you hear is like release the contraction, let all the tension out of your body. And I couldn't do any of that. And so I'm telling my husband, like, I need an epidural. I'm not going to be able to do this for a long period of time. I'm not getting any kind of a break. I can't relax. Like, I'm already I'm, so tired. Yeah. Like, I need I'm, <laughs> I need an epidural. I'm not going to be able to do this naturally, even though that's kind of what I had planned. And he was like, no, like, you're fine. <laughs> I, was, I was so mad at him. But he would, like, look at the midwife. I guess I found out later. And she's like, no, this is happening. Like, she yeah. was really encouraging him and so he's like no you don't need it like we're gonna get we're gonna be there really soon so good, he, good daddy doula i guess there huh? knows what you want and help exactly you get it. <laughs> exactly yeah no he and i'm not saying he was like just ignoring me like my pain, right but, but like, he was yeah. like ah she's got this yeah exactly yeah. yeah and so at like i guess the midwife had observed some kind of a change in me because at 7 p.m. So this is like two and a half hours after these contractions start. She checks me again and she like asked to check me and I was at 10 and I wasn't like, I was feeling pushy, but not in the same way I had before with other labors. And so I was kind of surprised and they're all like all the nurses in the room were like, this is great news. And in my head, I'm like, I've been there before. I've been there three times before. Like Mm -hmm. it is not over yet. So I was still like very much in the like, in the mindset of like, no, we've got work to do. And I end up trying a couple of different positions to push. I end up pushing like on the hospital bed, kind of like supported by pillows on all fours. Mm -hmm. Um, They put the back of the bed up and I push there for about a half hour or so, maybe 20 minutes in. They're like, oh my gosh, we can see the head. This is so great. And like, I, because of my third baby was just like, that's not, that's news, but it's not, you're like, yeah, it doesn't, it's not, over. <laughs> not what I need quite yet. <laughs> I've been here before. So I end up, yeah, I was just kind of like, I've been here before. This isn't like, yeah, that's not news to me, I guess. But then I like really felt a ring of fire and I was like, oh my gosh, this is actually happening. Like, this is a new thing. 
this is a new sensation. This is a new place that I haven't been before. And so I end up, yeah, he ends up being born. I like pushed with all my might. The midwife had to tell me like, chill out, slow down a little bit. You don't want to tear. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was just so beautiful. Like I was able to birth him vaginally. Then they're like, you have to roll over so you can hold him. You know, <laughs> they're like, yeah. And then tell me what to do because I was in such disbelief when he was born. And I got to hold him skin to skin. I like for the first time of any of my babies, which was just such a gift. Mm-hmm. Um, and my husband cut the cord after it stopped pulsing and it was just like so peaceful. Then there's just a couple of them were like crying because they'd Aww. been there. Like, yeah. <laughs> really invested in our story. And the midwife was like, you've reminded us, like you reminded me why I'm in this field. This oh. is such a beautiful redemptive story. I'm so happy for you. I did have a small little first degree tear, but like it really wasn't bad. Um, he ended up being seven pounds, seven ounces. So I am pretty confident that he was like preterm because that's still small for my babies. It's not. Yeah, because they're only like nine. Yeah. So it's, so he was definitely earlier. I had a circumvallate placenta where, which is where like part of the placenta kind of turns in on itself when it's developing. And so there's a smaller area where the placenta can adhere to the uterus yeah um and sometimes that's that can be related to like iugr and a couple other things but it's really hard to find via ultrasound and i kind of researched it later and sometimes sometimes it's like cause for like big concern but there's really not much to do about it and there's Mm -hmm. not there's just not not a whole lot to be done so i'm glad i didn't know that because i I feel like that would have been a source of worry, but unnecessary worry because there's uh-huh. nothing I really would have done differently in my pregnancy. I wonder if your bot that was like your body just being like, okay, it's time. Like I'm done doing my job now. Yeah, get the baby out. Yeah, yeah, and it can be associated also with like preterm or early labor, and so okay, that yeah, because I was like trying to find a reason. Like this is so strange. But, and the midwife wasn't worried about it at all. She was just like, oh, interesting. Look at your placenta. And I was like, this is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, and all the years of encapsulating, I've never seen one like that. Yeah. It's kind of rare, but also, yeah, they're not sure why it happens. And hmm. I don't know why it happened. I'll, some people say babies that just ate at elevation are sometimes smaller too, like at high, high mm-hmm. elevation and they come earlier. And so I'm wondering if maybe that can be connected like i don't know if there's more Mm. placenta abnormality in that way at elevation i don't know but yeah he had great apgars like latched super well it was so cool the first ob that i'd had called me the next morning in the hospital room just saying congratulations and we're so Mm. excited for you my second ob the one who had like basically said i think this is the right thing for you to try she came to the room because she was on call again and she congratulated me and just said like thanks for letting us be a part of this this was so Mm. to everybody in our practice yeah because I don't think they would have taken me on as a client probably not birth up front and probably not for them to see this and then I talked to the head midwife of that the hospital like OB midwife practice and she was just saying that this is their hope that more women who you know, really can labor without intervention or given the chance to labor without intervention, 
in the hospital is like kind of their goal. And Mm -hmm. she was so happy that so many of the people in her practice got to be a witness to that because they really got to see what happens. Like, especially down to like napping and leaving me alone is what ended up. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of learning happening on all their behalfs, like on the OB side, on the nurse side, on the midwife side, there was a lot of learning. And what I love so much is when places see births like this after, I mean, I, I'm not saying like the midwives or anything. I think the OBs were doing like, I don't really think this is a good idea, but then seeing it happen, it's like, okay, like, let's take a step back yep. because so many hospitals around the world just shut people out. No. And they might not, like you said, they might not have supported you walking in. Yeah, I've, exactly. had, I've had three C-sections. I really want to have a V-back. Like, pro- she probably would have said the same. Maybe she wouldn't have, though. Maybe she would have said, I don't know if it's a really good idea, but we, we could support you and let you go. You know? But would it have been the same situation? I don't know. It's, yeah. I don't know. But they're one of my favorite um, hospitals up in that direction, up, up north. So I love hearing, I love hearing all of this. And then to the point, to the point where the OB is like, Hey, I, I recognize you're in my care, but I know that you came from this care. Why don't we put you back in that model of care? Cause we offer that here. Like yeah. just those fine details that these providers paid attention to was a huge deal. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was, it's funny. Cause I had a feeling that whole pregnancy that I was going to have a hospital VBAC, but that like, really, really, it was like in the back of my head, I was like, I feel like I'm going to end up in the hospital, but I also feel like I'm going to have a VBAC. I don't know. But that was kind of, it was like this weird thought because I definitely was not going to pursue providers in hospital. So yeah. So the fact that that happened, I was like, wow, this is just so crazy Yeah. Um, for those That's reasons. So awesome. But yeah. And I, and I just really feel like both, not being afraid to like voice what we wanted was such a big part of this because if we hadn't spoken up, even if it, even though they were like very, very willing to listen and receptive, we didn't know that. And so we went in and this is what we want Um, and this is why we want it. And I think that like having a conversation where you think the doors might be closed is good to have. Now it's also good to like be aware of when a provider is not actually going to be supportive of you. But in our case, we didn't really have a choice. We were where we were. And yeah, just to, I think the more calm, like conversation that is had and the more providers can experience births like this, the more it'll just become normalized, which is like really the goal, you know, so. Absolutely. Well, huge congrats on your beautiful birth. And I'm so happy for you. And I just love hearing how it all unfolded, even though in the beginning, it wasn't, I mean, in the end, it wasn't exactly what you, and well, maybe I kind of guess it maybe was something that you envisioned, right? But like what on paper you were putting out that it, you know, you envisioned this birth center birth with this awesome midwife, you know, but I just love how it unfolded so much. Yeah. It was so healing for, for my husband. It was so healing for me. Good. Uh, Yeah. Good. Well, thank you again for being here with us. Thank you. Interested in sharing your VBAC? Head over to the vbaclink.com slash share to submit your story. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, 
the VBAC blog, the worldwide database for VBAC doulas, and more, head over to thevbaclink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.